to this time. Oh, it's Jenny Gresham. And a somewhat no, dangerously out of breath, Alan Partridge. I'm not out of breath. <laughs> you speaking now. Barely. I'm fit as a fiddle. Fit to drop. I do spinning classes three <laughs> times a week and off. And if you look behind the reception desk, David Lloyd in Norwich, under the words Cardio King of the Month, you'll see my face. And anyone can check that out. Anyone. Oh, there you go. If you are in the area, pop in and make sure you check that out. Oh, it, was, it, was, it won't be there now, because it was last month and I don't do spinning classes anymore. Oh, was it a bit much? No, no, I spewed over the handlebars. And they're perfectly normal. Uh, ask Steve Redgrave, he regularly spews in his canoe. Is that what it's called? <laughs> And hey, good for all of you for getting behind our Hero Dogs campaign. Oh, I love doing that to women. A long time ago, in a place far, far away from here, I read a column. In fact, it was the first, very first one of his columns that I ever read by Dave Barry, in which he was lamenting some people who had sent him some letters, because back then... That's how you did it. Regarding one of his previous columns and the and a joke that he had told in the previous column. The column that I was reading dealt with something he called humor impairment, which does not mean what you think it means. I know it, it you kind of guess it, but it, it's not he goes into a, a much better, a much fuller definition of what he means by humor impairment, which is kind of well, in today's world, it's easy to see, but not always recognized. It's it's things like playing a clip from Artred, Alan Partridge at the, uh, the top of the show. I think it's riotously funny. Many of you will listen to that and go, um, what, what, what was that? And one of you out there, and you know who you are, will know that the reason I, I love Alan Partridge is because he's from Norwich. The rest of you will not get that inside joke, but but it doesn't necessarily mean you suffer from humor impairment. In the, in the idea here is that there are things that you recognize that are funny to you. A meme drifts across your screen, your phone, whatever. It's funny, so you screenshot it, you share it with all your friends, you laugh, you giggle. It shows up in your memories a year later or five years later, and you go, that's still funny. And then sometimes a meme will come across your screen, and you won't get it. This happens to me quite a bit, actually, because, let's face it, I'm a cultural Philistine. You don't get the meme. You don't get the joke. But that is not humor impairment. That does not mean you are not impaired from humor because you don't get the joke. In the examples that Dave Barry used, he talked about Richard Nixon wearing a necktie is not funny. Richard Nixon wearing a neck weasel is funny. And as he predicted, some people wrote in and Explain to him that you can't wear a weasel. Those people are humor impaired. See, humor impairment deals with the idea that you don't even get that it's supposed to be a joke. Not, not that you didn't get the joke. Not that you didn't like the joke. You didn't even understand that it was supposed to be a joke. 
That's the definition of humor impairment. Those are people that are mm, difficult to work with. People who are humor impaired, sometimes it's, it's just easier to mock them. I mean, it really is. Sometimes you just look at them and you, you, know, you do the hand over the head thing and you go whoosh because they don't even get that it's a joke. Sometimes, like Alan Partridge, they get that it's a joke at their expense and they don't like that. And so they come back with something clever or something argumentative or whatever. Nah, or, you know, something along those lines. But at least they're starting to get that. It, it, at least they, they understand the concept that some people will find this funny. This is a joke and maybe, maybe somebody will laugh even though it's not me. There, it is possible to recover from humor impairment, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's just hard to tell a joke. I mean, I tell people this all the time in radio and even to a lesser degree podcasting, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to be funny. Why? Because there's no pushback. You know, this is the great thing about comedy clubs. You know, comedians get up in front of people. They get immediate pushback on a joke. And even a bad joke given by a comedian gets some response, which is usually kind of funny. But in a radio studio, you're talking literally to a blank wall or a computer screen. Maybe you have a producer, although that's becoming more and more rare these days. And that's one of the reasons why I always appreciate it and why I always push to have a co-host, sidekick, see even that's a joke, uh, partner, whatever, on my shows, when I was on radio, John, Kai, and others along the way. Because then you have pushback. Then you have interaction. You have, you know, reactionary stuff. It's a whole lot easier to avoid humor impairment at that point. But believe me, in my experience behind the microphone, <laughs> I have found humor impaired people. People who just don't even get that what you're saying is at least supposed to be funny. Maybe it's not really funny. Maybe you don't get the joke. Maybe you don't like the joke, but at least you understand that it is a joke. And consequently, because it is a joke, there's a tendency to go, well, okay. I mean, it's not my cup of tea. I don't necessarily like that sense. I don't necessarily like that humor. But there you go. I love Alan Partridge. He's not for everybody, I'll tell you that. Woof. I, I like a lot of British comedy. British comedy, you know, sometimes it's an acquired taste. There are comedians that, comics, jokes, that I, I, I for the life of me, I don't know why people think Samantha Bee is funny. I know they do because I keep seeing ads telling me that Samantha Bee is the funniest woman on television. I thought she was so unfunny that I canceled my freaking Hulu subscription so I wouldn't have to watch TBS anymore. Because I get tired of every second ad on TBS being about how funny Samantha Bee is. She's not funny. I get that it's supposed to be a joke. I get that there are people who watch her show and listen to her who think that she is just, you know, I, I, she is the Einstein of humor, but she's not. 
Consequently, I don't like that. That's not humor impairment. There are people who don't like what I have to say when I think I'm funny. Again, generally speaking, not humor impairment, but occasionally I'll hear from somebody going, they wouldn't do that that way. I know. That's part of the problem. The bigger problem, of course, with humor impairment comes, if it's you, if it's just somebody that's a listener or your friend or somebody you work with, that's one thing. And we had guys on the submarine that were definitely humor impaired. We had guys that, you know, had a different sense of humor than you did. But at the same time, you got through with it. The problem comes when it's your boss that's humor impaired because he doesn't, he or she doesn't get that you're trying to be funny and they're not in the mood for that. That's bad enough, right? So you got to be real careful at work sometimes. You got to be careful sometimes with a spouse or a significant other because maybe you're gay. I don't know. But the biggest problem with humor impairment comes when it's a bunch of people or a person in a completely unaccountable appointed position over which they now have power over people and virtually no accountability whatsoever. That's when it gets dangerous. That's when, that's when humor impairment becomes a problem. So a few weeks ago, you remember the whole Amazon unionization thing? And by the way, if you think that that vote to say no to union and Amazon ended the whole discussion, you don't understand what's going on. No, never means no when it's a leftist agenda. Never. So believe me, that fight is really just beginning. And it won't end until Amazon unionizes. But in the process of this whole discussion, there was a guy who works for The Federalist. It's a politics and cultural website that I occasionally visit. And one of the people there that's a publisher tweeted from his own personal account. He tweeted on Twitter, FYI, at Federalist, to all his you know people there that follow him. First one of you tries to unionize, I swear I'll send you back to the salt mine. Now, is it a joke? Well, I mean, clearly it's a joke. You would literally have to be humor impaired not to see that that's a joke. Number one, there are, all no, there are no actual salt mines. Number two, it may not have occurred to you to ask this question, but how many people actually work at the Federalist? Anybody? Bueller? 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 Well, it turns out it's six. So the whole unionization thing is kind of a moot point anyway, right? But they clearly do not have a salt mine to which they can send employees for trying to unionize. This is clearly, obviously, even Richard Nixon would get, this is a joke. But we live in the 21st century. We live our lives in the social media where anything and everything that is said can become instantaneously cause for offense 
And when you're dealing with people who are, again, humor impaired, they don't get that it's supposed to be a joke. They may not like the joke, but they just don't even get that it's a joke. Well, that's when the excrement hits the rotating air-moving device. A charge was filed with the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, claiming that the tweet amounted to a, quote, unfair labor practice by parent company Federalist Media, threatening reprisal against any employee wishing to form a union, unquote. Now, if it ended there, you'd go, God, that person is just freaking stupid. If it ended there. But in the traditional government and uh, continuing to make things jokes that maybe didn't start out that way, a National Labor Board, National Labor Review Board administrative law judge agreed, as did the National Labor Review Board. They agreed that the tweet was, in fact, an unfair labor practice by a parent company threatening to reprisal against those who wish to form a union, of which, as of current count, there are zero people wanting to do that. Do you get that? Nobody's, (laughs) it was a joke. The NLRB has ordered the publisher of the Federalist to delete his tweet along with other forms of relief. The order has now been appealed to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. There are multiple briefs that have been filed. A broad coalition of free speech advocates, including satirist P.J. O'Rourke, former ACLU President Nadine Strassen, magicians Penn and Teller, Although I'm not clear, uh, Penn could probably do it, but can Teller, I know he doesn't talk, can he write? Anyway, the brief explains that the NLRB was wrong for a simple reason. The tweet was a joke, not a threat. Both the context of the, the tweet and the text of the actual tweet clearly demonstrate it was not a serious threat. The guy who wrote the tweet is a known person, a known satirist. He's a person who constantly makes sarcastic comments on current events, context, news events. And a public tweet, as we have learned, is different from private email, just as public speech is different from private conversations. He wrote the tweet to address and entertain his thousands of Twitter followers, not to threaten the Federalists, Six employees. Oh, and by the way, they took the time to point out in these briefs that the Federalist does not, in fact, have a salt mine to which insolent writers can be banished. The absurdity of that suggestion is what makes the tweet funny. And it's why the six people who work there actually understood that it was a joke. The sad part is that even if the tweet was a joke, even if you and I get the joke, even if the idiot that filed the charge didn't get the joke, even if the NLRB judge, administrative judge, didn't get the joke, the case is not. 
If you can be hauled into court and found in violation of federal law on the basis of satire, sarcasm, or even hyperbole, what happens to the sense of humor in this country? What happens to chill free speech in humor in this entire country? Can you imagine Groucho Marx being hauled into court for telling the President of the United States it was past his bedtime? It was funny. It was satire. It was sarcasm. It was kind of hyperbole, but he did it. Can you imagine Johnny Carson making jokes at the expenses of politicians? Can you imagine... The famous Navy poster. It's one of my favorites. The beatings will continue until morale improves. Being taken down. Because some idiot judge, some idiot humor-impaired judge doesn't get that it's a joke. And since it's not a joke, well, we better start punishing people and make them shut the bleep up so that nobody will walk around with a smile on their face. We'll all walk around looking like we've got sticks up our butts and we'll all become humor impaired because God help us if we ever laugh at anything. It might offend somebody. It might insult somebody. It might be a threat to send me to the salt mines. It's just sad. And the reality of it is that while it's important that this case go forward, while it's important that the Third Circuit hear another one of these cases, the sad part is the satire and sarcasm of all this is the Third Circuit Court is going to have to listen to a case about a joke. And that might actually be the joke. <laughs>